Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington, and today we're gonna to talk about project management as a, I guess, solo entrepreneur, working on niche sites primarily, but you could probably take some of these ideas for just about anything that you're working on, on your own, maybe with a couple freelancers. And for the people that are watching on YouTube, I am sitting in my living room. I decided to change things up, Georgie, is feeling a little under the weather. She recently got her teeth clean. Georgie is my dog, who I'm currently petting with both hands. She got her teeth cleaned and, you know, she was feeling a little uh, run down, you know. They actually have to put them under to clean their teeth. And anyway, I decided I would record up here. Plus, I have, you know, all the gear to actually uh, record in the living room or elsewhere. So, little variety can be interesting. So I'm actually sitting on the floor petting Georgie. I brought like one light up here and I'm using my lav mic, the, the cordless mic. So hopefully the audio is just as good. This is a much more echoey room. There's a lot of hard surfaces around here. There's a rug and furniture and other stuff. Hopefully I'm in a spot where it's not super echoey, but if you detect anything different, that is why. And I'm curious, actually, leave a comment or shoot me an email if you can really tell it's different audio or not. Always interested. And, you know, this mic isn't quite as nice as the, the microphone downstairs, which is like a studio level microphone, but this is a pretty decent one and it's wireless. So if I actually am recording, you know, somewhere else, sometimes wireless is much easier to deal with. The other thing from a technology front is, I brought up this old laptop. It's a Chromebook here and I bought it in 2019 and you know, even back then it wasn't like a new model, but it was a, it's a Chromebook. It's actually for I think like school age kids, the keyboards like waterproof and stuff, but I was going on a long road trip. I didn't want to bring my good laptop and I heard good things about the Chromebooks. They're relatively inexpensive. I think I paid $150 for this brand new, and I probably could have gotten it under 100 if I got it used. I haven't fired it up in a little while, but I needed to uh, sort of test it out, make sure it was still working. I'm doing a beer judging competition this weekend, and they're moving over to electronic, which is different. It's usually like handwritten on paper, which is, I think, probably much easier to deal with. If you spill a beer, knock on wood, I have not spilled a beer at a beer competition, but if you do spill a beer, it just lands on the paper and you wipe it up, it's no big deal. When you're bringing a, a laptop or your tablet and you have like a iPad Pro and an expensive keyboard and all that stuff, it's kind of catastrophic if you spill a beer on it. This has, uh, you know, this is a cheap Chromebook and it has a waterproof keyboard, so I'm not too worried about it. Anyway. That's the tech setup for today. And if you're brand new to the show, I usually don't go into all this depth. It's just something a little bit unusual. And there's some nerds out there that actually enjoy that sort of thing. The reason why we're doing this episode today is because I got this email from a guy named Spencer. So I'm going to read out some emails here. If Georgie will let me stop petting her for a second here. Spencer says this, I'm a professional SEO of six years working on my... Let's see, let's start that again. My name is Spencer. I'm a 
professional SEO of six total years working on my first personal content and affiliate website, while the first one that I'm sticking with. So I think maybe there's a comma missing here. So I'm going to say he's an SEO professional and he's been doing that for six years, but he's working on his first site and he's really putting time into it. Further, he says, I've been searching for perspective-based project management advice, and I thought your background would have a lot of value. For the people that don't know, I was a PMP, so I did project management for software, large-scale implementations. I worked in management consulting and eventually you know, did project management for about, I think, like eight eight to 10 years, something like that. Project management gets a little fuzzy, but I've had my PMP, this is a project management professional certification since 2008. So I managed a bunch of projects ranging from budgets of whatever, like 500K to like 10 million bucks or so. So nothing super huge, but some of the teams were fairly big with you know 50 to 80 people, something like that. So I have a pretty solid amount of skills, especially a sort of larger scale than what typically you know we're dealing with when you're just working on a niche site yourself. Back to Spencer's email. I'm currently trying to start my own content affiliate website, but I'm stuck at project management and everything falls apart when it comes to content writing. I have all the research and planning done, but starting and finishing a new post takes way too long. Most of my posts end up being about 2,000 to 3,000 words, just as context. I referenced the perspective base because it's likely the project management process is a little different for someone who is starting out compared to someone who has the skill set but needs to bust out content after their nine to five or someone progressing into outsourcing content. I'm curious what my thoughts are on a realistic workflow that would be an ideal scenario where you have a nine to five, but no real obligations after work that would prevent you from going all in. I know you have a few project management videos from three to five years ago that would fit there, but I didn't see anything that would completely fit that mold. So I have some light project management ideas, but nothing super specific. I've been putting some thought into specific questions that might apply. So Spencer did an awesome job. He kind of laid the framework for what I needed to cover. And he says, are SOPs at standard operating procedures, are SOPs useful when it's just you making the content and doing all of the work? If so, what should that SOP look like if it's just for yourself? Next, we have types of project management tools. And are some better than others for self-management? He says, I generally just opt for a free Kanban board myself, but need to more, be more diligent there. What project management pieces are necessary to grow from doing all the work to transitioning to outsourcing or incorporating a digital assistant of some kind? He says, I feel like this is my biggest roadblock, preventing me from outsourcing to get help. Then he asks about Scrum versus Agile project management, and should those even be considered for personal project management? So we're going to get into all those details. Hopefully Georgie is not going to bark if she hears a noise up here. 
someone closes the door, she'll freak out and start barking. The, <laughs> the other thing is, you know, she, she's just so cute. So hopefully I won't have to keep petting her the whole time. She's just falling asleep right here. Hopefully everyone out there is a dog person. Otherwise, this is just boring. Before I get into all the details, I just got a couple of personal updates out there. So I can't remember if I shared a specific story with you, podcast listener, YouTube viewer, on this particular show. I told it on my other show. It's called Mile High Fi. And basically, I had like a health incident. I think I'll call it that, a health incident. <laughs> Sounds dramatic. But it's actually, it's like a ongoing fucking issue that I'm now dealing with a little bit. It, it turns out I'm okay. I'm just trying to like patch everything up. So if you are watching me on YouTube or if you have seen me on YouTube, you actually can see I have like a fresh scar, like right square on my fucking forehead. And on New Year's Eve, I was uh, in a hot tub. My wife and I often go on uh, like trips around that time of year, New Year's time frame. So I was in a hot tub. We usually get an Airbnb with a hot tub. I was hanging out. I got hot. I got pretty hot and I was like, ah, I'm going to get out early. I was only in for maybe like 15 minutes, which it's supposed to be how long you stay in there. But as an avid hot tubber and a person who enjoys a sauna as well, I like to get pretty hot. Anyway, I didn't feel that great. I wanted to get out to cool off, get some water and just like chill out. So I got out and then 30 seconds to one minute later after I walked inside, I went in by myself. My wife stayed in the hot tub. I passed out cold, fell down. I didn't try to catch myself. I have no injuries on my hands or anything. I just fell straight down and I think I hit my head on the baseboard and then hit my chin as well. So I woke up, I think maybe like 30 seconds or a minute later, I'm not quite sure. And my head was bleeding. You know, my, there was this pretty big scrape on my head. It luckily didn't bleed that much. There was some blood, but not a huge amount. And my, my two front teeth were pretty loose. Luckily they did not fall out, but they were extremely loose and they, it hurt pretty bad, right? So two, my two front teeth. And for the people that don't know, I'm bald. I shaved my head. And so I have a, a, I have a, I would call it a prominent forehead. We'll call it that. So anything, anyway, I got my wife and I was like, Hey, I think I slipped. Maybe I bumped my head. I'm not, not really sure. After we talked it through for a second, I was like, yeah, I just passed out. I think I just passed out. I'm not going to belabor this story, but if you want to know more, if you want me to do a whole episode or something, shoot me an email, leave a comment in the YouTube comments, and I'll tell the story longer. We went to the emergency room, did a CT scan, made sure there was no you know, large tumor that caused it, make sure that it was just a light concussion, there was no bleeding, everything was okay. They did an EKG to make sure the heart was okay. Everything checked out. And they said, you know, don't stay in the hot tub too long. For some of you out there, you're thinking, Doug, were you smashed? We know that you like to drink beer. No, I wasn't. I had two beers that day. I had one like around lunchtime. 
And then I went for like a, maybe a three mile walk. And then I had a, I was drinking a beer when I was in the hot tub, but the doctor at the emergency room did cite vasodilation. And that's where you're, you know, you're in a hot tub and you get hot and the blood, you know, it leaves your, uh, like the, the core body area in your brain and goes out so that it may cool your skin. Like you sweat and then all the blood is not in your head. So you pass out like lowers your blood pressure, stuff like that. So anything, anyway, my emergency room visit turned out okay. They cleaned me up, sent me home, told me, you know, don't stay in the hot tub too long. Don't drink in the hot tub. The sad part is I have been in the hot tub for, you know, many long out, like, you know, I've been in a hot tub and had like whatever, 12 beers and stayed in there for an hour and it was fine. I've never passed out before. So this was all pretty big surprise. Everything's fine. I'll have a scar. It will, it actually doesn't look as bad as I thought it would. And in a year or two, it probably won't be too much. Fingers crossed. The other thing that happened this week, so Georgie got her teeth worked on. I had to get a root canal and a crown on my front tooth, which was a dramatic thing, right? So the reason why I decided to do that is the tooth was turning black. So again, if, if people have seen some of the recent YouTube videos in the last couple months here, you may have noticed like ah, Doug's teeth, uh, like one tooth looks a little funny. It's because it did look funny. It was, it was, you know, just turning dark and, you know, it, it was going to have to be a root canal sometime or another. And I decided to go ahead and have, have the work done. Um, it actually already feels a little bit better, but that was a couple hours of uh, time that I had to be at the dentist. And, oh man, don't recommend, don't recommend, don't pass out if you have the opportunity to not do it. So all that's good. I'm healthy. And it sort of coincided with me. I was like, hey, I'm going to cut down on drinking this year and just losing consciousness like that. Definitely makes you want to keep your mind sharp, get plenty of rest, and just kind of treat your body a little bit better. So don't drink in a hot tub, everybody. Let's get on to project management for solo operators and entrepreneurs. So a couple observations, and this is going to be sort of a broad theme overall. Keep everything as simple as you possibly can. There are tools, there are apps, there are other methodologies that you potentially can use, but usually in most cases, the simplest solution is going to be the best one. Simple is less likely to break. It's less less likely to like cause issues in general, and it is you know, by definition, it's the simplest way to get started. So if you have the opportunity, just stick with the simple solution. The other thing is as you're getting started, you will probably gravitate towards the simple solution. Anyway, it's literally the easiest one to get started. You won't know ways to optimize until you do the process a few times and then you see the flaws, you see the things that are working really well, and you understand how the process is working, 
the bottlenecks in the the times when maybe you have energy to do more work because it's just something that you like or it just happens to be a cool way that you are implementing something. So simple is best. And when you are trying to optimize, when you're trying to do a better job, you're adding complexity. And the thing is like we want to add we, we want to optimize it as much as we can up front, but you simply don't have enough information or knowledge to do that. So you're, you're better off really just opting for the easiest solution. One thing that I do notice is because of the way Spencer wrote this and the things that you were asking about Spencer, you know a lot, you know kind of the tip of the iceberg kind of stuff. So you know about Kanban, you know about Agile and Scrum, you know about project management and perhaps teams that you've worked on in the past, you have seen project managers or you've seen processes that work well and you've seen that you should have SOPs or maybe you just hear people talk about this on podcasts, for example, and you want to add that in because you have more knowledge than the average bear. So you, you're thinking, hey, I want, to, I want to put that in. I want to optimize early so I don't waste time. And what will happen, and I know this from experience, so what will happen is you will add the complexity before you have the knowledge of experience and you will make mistakes in the optimization so that you basically end up just wasting time. So you'll set something up, you'll set up this big system and then you'll run through and it'll crash and burn somewhere along the way and it'll all be for not. You'll learn what not to do, which is somewhat valuable, but if you keep it simple, then you'll be in great shape. So in general, when we're talking about project management, I think the main things that we want to focus on are sort of like the roles that you may have on your team because you're a solo entrepreneur that may want to outsource little pieces. It might be, and it will be early on that you are doing all the roles. So you're the general manager, you're the writer, you're the researcher, you're the editor, you're the content manager, you're all these micro roles that you can outsource. So project management would be like defining the roles, defining the responsibilities that that individual does. So when you're doing it, it may look like you're doing, you know, six or seven different roles, but you could divide it up and say, you know, the researcher is in charge of finding the keyword, creating an outline and a content brief, right? So you could list out all the stuff that you're doing, but then later classify it into a specific role and those responsibilities. The other piece that would be helpful is having sort of a process flow. So this could be as simple as getting a blank sheet of paper or a legal pad and then noting each step of the process. Maybe that's in the form of a deliverable, right? So in this case, it's probably that deliverable will be like a post that will be published on the website. So there are various stages that it goes through and I won't be able to um, like draw it out here, but you can go look up like a swim lane diagram 
And typically those are used in consulting and project management. I learned about it in consulting. So a lot of times you'll show up on a project and then they're like, let's do a swim lane. Let's, let's hear about all the roles. Let's hear about all the responsibilities. And then we have like a better insight on what's going on at an organization so that we can optimize it. Maybe we can eliminate roles. Maybe we could add roles to make things go, go more smoothly. So if you look up a swim lane diagram, you can then map out all of the things that are happening, right? All the tasks, all the activities, and then put them in the right swim lane for the role. So you can map out your whole process and then figure out like which pieces you can outsource. Just doing those couple things will probably clear up a lot for you. And when you're thinking about like the, the specific workflow, you know, do the most obvious thing first. You can, you know, reference some material that is out there already. I actually have a video for, I think, asking ChatGPT how to create a project management workflow or a process flow for a content writing team. And then you would have to write it write it out in a like graph format or a process flow, but it told you verbally, like, here's what would happen. Here's how it would flow. Like this deliverable would go from this role to another. And if you just ask a bunch of questions, it could basically do it for you. There's a good chance, I haven't done this yet, but there's a good chance you could take that, put it into one of the graphics AI tools. I don't know what they're called exactly, but like mid journey or whatever, and say, here is the text outline of the process flow, create a swim lane diagram based on that. That'd be interesting, right? I don't know if anyone's doing that kind of stuff. I see people doing like some pretty cool art, but what if you can create business documents and process flows based on what ChatGPT has created? There's an idea for you. That's a whole, that's probably a huge business someone can start. So map out the, the workflow that you think is gonna work best. Make it as simple as possible. That's the best way to do it. You can add complexity later. You can make just about anything infinitely complex. So you're much better off just keeping it simple. Again, that is the theme here. Keep everything as simple as you can because if you don't, you're gonna end up with something complex that's gonna break more often than not. So keep things simple and we'll go on a little bit of a tangent here. So one of the other things that you mentioned specifically, it sounds like you'll, you are going to be able to put a huge amount of effort in. You don't have other commitments. You actually can go all in on your side projects after work, right? So you have your nine to five, but you can come home and it sounds like you can grind. You don't have other priorities that are taking up you know, huge amount, like perhaps a Georgie like me or uh, a significant other or kids or anything like that. Sounds like you have some time. So that's, that's cool. And it sounds like you're a little obsessed, which I think is one of the key, key pieces of success. So one thing that is super helpful is if you can prioritize effectively. It's kind of tough, right? It's a little bit tough because there's so many different things coming at you. 
And it's hard to tell what things are important. Like I've been talking a lot about ChatGPT and a lot of people are probably thinking, do I need to spend time on figuring out how to use ChatGPT or work on something else? And it's something that you will have to figure out on your own. You'll have to, you know, look at the expected value over time and you'll have to, you know, gauge what other people are spending time on. You can go to a, a trusted person who's more experienced than you and that'll be a great way to just get straight up advice to figure out you know what should i be working on in the short term and in the long term but the biggest thing that you can do is know what you're going to work on when you first sit down so even though you have sounds like plenty of time to grind and spend a lot of time on this you should know when you first sit down i will be working on this thing It'll take organization up front and maybe, you know, weekly or every two weeks or something. You look at, you know, your, your list of things that you want to work on or that you think that you should work on. And then maybe chop it into blocks, maybe like 90 minute blocks. That's a good, you know, time to work on something or a specific amount of time where you probably can do a chunk of 90 minutes and then go do something else. You have other responsibilities for sure, but like you can work for 90 minutes and then do something else. If you have a huge block of time, like on the weekend or something, sure, you can put together like five or six blocks, maybe take some breaks in between, but you can, you know, chunk out five, six, seven blocks all in one day. The point is you have sort of like discrete chunks of work that you can work on. And when you sit down, you know what you're going to do. The reason why that's important. And I'm thinking of myself here. You know, if you listen to the show fairly often, you know that emails can pull me way off task. And I have been doing better, by the way. There's always a cost. And the cost is I don't reply back to emails in a timely manner most of the time. It just depends. But what happens to me is I, I know I need to work on something and I'm actually doing the right thing. I have to go to email to look something up, follow up, or get a piece of information. And I get distracted by other emails in my inbox. I should do something different to alleviate that, but I've figured out I can just ignore it most of the time. But in general, if I don't know what I'm going to work on and I just go down and start looking at email before I figure out and decide what I'm going to work on, there's a good chance I will waste that day or chunk of work, hopefully not a whole day, but I'll waste that chunk of work because I'll just fuck around looking at emails and I'm going through and I'm replying back to like shit that doesn't matter versus like replying back to those emails that do actually really matter. So you, you just end up feeling a little bit busy because you are distracted by other people trying to get your attention via email. At least that's that's my own personal poison. It varies from person to person. So, and funny thing, like I was actually really effective at work being able to ignore emails. So I, I didn't react right away. I would let emails sit. I would actually turn off like auto syncing. I would like, I would go offline essentially. And I would, I would get stuff done. And then I would come back because I knew I didn't need to reply back instantaneously. 
I could come back to it in a timely manner. So I always did my job, but I wasn't like instantly replying like other people were. The result was I actually was able to focus and get a lot of shit done. So um, turns out I was a good uh, issue solver and problem solver because I would just ignore everything else and then get shit done. So I, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on a podcast, but literally I would have whatever eight projects that I was managing and like my boss or boss's boss would come to me and say, hey, we have like a major issue that needs to be resolved in 48 hours. And it's not your project, it's someone else's project, but they're not, they're not resolved. Like they're just not able to do it. Can you, can you do it? And then basically I would just get their approval. Can I drop everything else on the other projects? Is this thing that you're bringing to me my number one priority? And they would say, yep, you could do that. You could ignore it. Just focus on that. So then I would just really hammer whoever was in the critical path and uh, politely, of course, but then I was able to pull people together. I would pull the problem solvers together, the decision makers, and then get them in a meeting within a few hours. And then they would just talk, fucking figure it out. And then the problem was solved. And then I could go back to my other projects. The point being, I was pretty good at email before, and I was pretty good at just prioritizing and ignoring things when necessary. Okay. Next thing up is SOPs and standard operating procedures, or that stands for standard operating procedures. So they are important and they can be great to develop, even if it's just you using the SOPs. So I always would create these anyway, because it helps you understand your process. And if you run through the process, I'll give you a quick example too, but if you run through the process a few times and you understand like what you're doing, you understand the flow, write it down. I usually would just call these job aids and my old job, that's what I did all the time. I would create job aids because if I was hiring people and bringing them on the team, I needed to be able to give them instructions on what to do, standard operating procedures, job aids, whatever. And you want everyone doing it the same. You want to have standard operating procedures and you end up with a more consistent result. You end up with a better set of a better process overall because you end up with a continuous improvement. So each person running through it, if they observe a way to do it better, they potentially can update the SOPs so that it becomes better over time. So you could imagine if we had a team of like 50 or 100 people d running independent projects and we see a better way to do something, we all can improve and sort of crowdsource the improvement and then everyone benefits. And then you end up with sort of like a bulletproof kind of process. So that is the value. Even if you're just working on it yourself, the process of writing it out forces you to really analyze what you're doing. So you will find things that are redundant, that don't make sense for you to do, that you should wait, 
right? You should wait to do it until later in the process because if you do it early, you're going to have to do it again later anyway. So you may as well wait until later. So just the exercise of writing out your process is going to improve the process probably 90% of the time. I just made up a step. It should improve the process. The other benefit is when you are ready to outsource it, you already have the process written down. So if you don't have it written down and you told me that you wanted to outsource something, I would tell you to write it down. So if you do this along the way, then you are improving the process by writing it out and thinking about it harder. And then you already have like an outsourcing document or at least the seed of an outsourcing document. So SOPs, write them. It's going to help you. It'll help you in the future. And you might be able to ask ChatGPT to help you create SOPs and actually say, I created SOPs to do something. Should I add anything else? Did I miss anything? My example for creating SOPs is around publishing content on WordPress. So really it was, it was sort of the drafting process and inserting images, inserting external links, internal links, adding affiliate links, captions, maybe a feature box, a couple other things. And it was helpful when I wrote it out, just like I said. I probably didn't like waste a huge amount of time, but I improved the process just by writing it out. The big thing is when it came time to outsource, I already had it done. And I just gave it to a writer, which I promoted to a content manager slash editor. And she would draft the post following my instructions. And then she would edit it along the way too. So what happened was Instead of me doing that process and taking 90 minutes to two hours, she would do it probably in like 45 minutes to an hour. She didn't spend as much time like writing and adding stuff to it and just kind of me getting in my own way. She wasn't as connected to the content. So she was like, okay, it takes me like 45 minutes to an hour. And I was happy with the results. So instead of me taking an hour and a half to two hours, I would just pop in, look at the draft skim it really quickly, make sure it looked good. And then I would publish it. That would take me two to three minutes. So that is when I was able to scale up in a huge way. I, I mean, I can't tell you how much time it saved. Hundreds, thousands of hours, perhaps, um, over the course of a couple of years, just for me not doing that process. And it was a, it was a bargain, you know, it cost me say 15 bucks an hour or something like that to hire that person, but it was saving me a huge amount of time, which was extremely valuable, especially at the time that I was scaling. So SOPs definitely do it. As far as tools to use, I, I'm a big fan of Trello. I used Asana for a little while and it, it was fine. I think they've probably updated it in a way that could be a little more useful for me. But now that I'm deeply entrenched in Trello and I'm doing like sort of different kind of work, I like Trello. Trello is super easy to train new people on. And I've trained probably five or six different assistants that have worked with me over the years. And I currently use it for my 
podcast and YouTube content management, as well as um, one site that I have where I'm managing sort of the content process there. If you wanted to use something like Asana, that's fine. There's a ton of other tools. Some people really like some of the, the newer tools that are out there, but Trello is totally fine. I would still encourage you to keep it simple and just use spreadsheets also. So like Trello along with some spreadsheets or other, you know, simple document types. That's really a smart way to go. It's, it's just the simplest way to do it. Again, there are more expensive tools. There are more modern tools that people really love. I just, honestly, I haven't experimented with them because I haven't needed to. And I, from a, you know, YouTube and podcast um, creator, I potentially should test out some more of these tools, but it would just be a, you know, sort of mental masturbation process where I'm just testing tools to test them, to tell you about them, but I wouldn't actually use them. The shit that I do use, Google Sheets, Google Docs, Trello. I think that's about it. You can do lots of stuff with the simplest tools out there. And back in those project management days, we would use MS Project early on and then at some point, we just went back to spreadsheets. So spreadsheets were the primary tool for project management for us. And we were managing those, you know, 500K to $10 million projects with fucking Microsoft Excel. That was all we used. And it was fine. So maybe it wasn't the most efficient. There were so a couple little issues here or there that probably could have been improved, but largely it was fine. You can use more complicated tools, but there's a cost. And when something breaks, it kind of screws everything up. The one thing I would encourage you to do if you're going to use a more sophisticated solution or sets of solutions, you can use tools like Zapier. I have done that before. And if you're unfamiliar, Zapier helps you to integrate various tools that don't have a native integration. So you can set up some, you know, pretty crazy workflows. Maybe it goes from Trello to Google Sheets to Twitter to a YouTube video and, and so on. I mean, you can do crazy stuff because Zapier just gets triggered and then it can trigger a different action to happen on a completely different system. The trouble is when you have a complicated set of integrations, if anything changes, if anything breaks along the way, then it's complicated to figure out what went wrong. And I just made up some absurd example, but it's not unusual if you maybe had to integrate like four tools together to do something. And again, if you are trying to troubleshoot that when one of the applications changes an API or something shifts or a server changes or something, it gets really complicated to figure out like what the fuck went wrong. And it can be cool when you get it to work, but trust me, it's not fun when it breaks and there's a bunch of fallout and you have to figure out what went wrong 
and you're the only person that, that could know. So let's talk a little bit about scaling up and if it's like really necessary and required to have like good project management practices in order to scale up and outsource and all that kind of thing. So I think it's probably, it's not necessary, but it makes it easier. I think a bigger thing is if you have a good project management setup and you have your SOPs and you have a process flow that you have outlined and thought about and you understand the various roles and the responsibilities of those roles, it puts you in a position where the where you can outsource individual pieces. Like I said, maybe you hire a researcher. Maybe you like to do the keyword research, but you do want to hand off the keyword and have someone do the outline, come up with references, find those references for you, and create a content brief. That's cool. And then maybe you write it after that. Let's say in a few months, you have a little more budget for whatever reason, and then you're able to take that content brief and pass it over to a writer. So if you can outline this stuff, it does make it much easier to come up with a specific set of activities you want a VA to do, and then you could hire them just for that little piece. It makes it very easy to outsource. Now, the other part to get into is Scrum and Agile. So to be fair, I didn't practice Scrum at all. I think that's fair to say. And I'm not going to define everything here, uh, but people can go do a little bit further research. So Agile is something that I was doing a little bit towards the end. So I did software project management and like I said, big system implementations. And a lot of times in, in those days, right? I'm old enough where I can say that. We were doing um, waterfall style uh, software project management, right? So I'm just throwing out buzzwords here. So, but basically the waterfall process was one where you, you worked in phases. So you would finish a phase and then move on to the next. To be very specific, you would maybe write out the requirements of what the software needed to be. So maybe you would work with like the business side of the company, people that were actually going to be using the software. And then you would find out what they needed and you would write out like a list of requirements, like a list of things that the software needed to do. And then you would pass those requirements on to like technical requirements writers. So they would put those business needs in technical speak so that those technical requirements could be passed on to the software developers. And then the software developers would code everything out and they would build it to the best of their ability based on the technical requirements. Then after that, some people would test the software, the QA department, right? QC. They would test the software and then send it back to the developers to fix it up to make sure it was in good shape. Then it would go to like user testing, various testing, but user testing. So those users were typically the business that created the requirements in the very beginning. So they would test the software 
that went through a, a couple you know, different phases here and went through a couple interpretations. So they would test the software and then basically find bugs. But a lot of times what would happen is they would get to the software and they would realize, wow, what happened from when we said what we needed to this software that we're using now? This is nothing like what we expected. And the further down the line that you realize that there's a problem, the more expensive it is to fix. So by the time the users tested the software, they would see, oh, this is not what we intended at all, not what we expected. They, they would have to send it back to the developers and then they would kind of have to redo it. Sometimes it would go back to like the technical requirements writers so that they could rewrite the requirements so then the developers could figure out what to do. By the way, this might take a year or something like that. So not only have we wasted a bunch of time, we also wasted a lot of money, right? So there's all this time that elapsed. We spent a lot of money. We end up with software that's kind of garbage. So what the agile project management idea brings to the table is instead of doing like the full big uh, whole development cycle, you would take little pieces at a time and kind of get constant feedback early on. And maybe you would have a team that consisted of someone from each one of the different phases that I mentioned. So you would have a, a business requirement writer, a technical requirement writer, developers, you would have some testers, and you would all communicate all at the same time and develop the software, test it, talk to the business person to make sure it was what they expected. So you ended up not wasting so much time and you wouldn't waste nearly as much money because you're figuring it out much earlier in the process. And, you know, the key is to do kind of small pieces. And Agile got much more popular as I was finishing my corporate career and getting laid off. <laughs> and when I saw like Scrum and Agile, I, I realized like in the question here, I was like, isn't Scrum like a specific implementation of Agile? Like they're both Agile project management. So I think if you have that sort of idea, that's good. Like the idea of not getting all the way to the end of a project and then trying to figure out if you did it right, but like constantly trying to, you know, get feedback from the world, from your end users and stuff like that. So I think the Agile idea is great and you should move forward with that. But Agile and Scrum are kind of not exactly synonyms, but like I said, I'm, I'm pretty sure Scrum is a specific flavor of Agile. Where Waterfall in the niche site world would end up being something like you find your keywords, you write the content, you publish it, and maybe you're trying to publish like a hundred articles all at once. And basically you're working for a year before you publish the first article and like quote, launch your website. So I would recommend that, you know, you don't do that and that you actually, you know, publish quickly. You, you find as many keywords as you need for the first, you know, quote, sprint of work. And maybe you only need 20 keywords, right? You don't have to find 500 keywords. You could find 20 keywords start getting that content out there. And then once you finish publishing those first 20, 
find 20 more keywords and publish those. And then maybe you can get some feedback from, you know, Google Search Console to figure out if you are publishing good content. Maybe you see impressions going up. So I would definitely recommend a agile type approach versus waterfall, which can lead you to do, I mean, really just a ton of work without much feedback from the world. So overall, my, my thoughts are to keep everything as simple as possible. I think SOPs or writing out your process flow is extremely helpful, highly recommend it, even if you're just working on your own. Maybe you've been working on your own for a long time. Just writing those out is still going to be super helpful. The one other thing that I'll mention that we didn't talk about is sort of embedded with SOPs are templates. So that's one of the key things that you can do. And that could be templates for hiring people on Upwork, templates for your specific content types. And by the way, I have a shitload of these that I share. If you sign up for the email list, there are templates for you know, hiring people, the job listings, onboarding to bring on writers. I have templates for the types of content that you might have. I mean, you could develop these. You could find probably a good piece of content of a specific type, put it in the chat GPT, and I'm pretty sure it can spit out a template that you can use over and over again. Even if it's not 100% right, it's probably going to be pretty damn close. And then you could tweak it from there. So, you know, when you're thinking of templates, it's just going to save you a huge amount of time because you're not going to have to like recreate the wheel every time you are doing that thing that you do all the time, something that you repeat over and over again. So I think that's it for today. If you have any other questions about project management or process flow or my approach, ask me. Feedback at Doug.show. That is how you can email me and then you can leave a YouTube comment if uh, you're over on the YouTube side. Spencer, thanks for the question. This was a fun one. And uh, let me know, folks out there on the YouTube side, if you liked this different setup up here. And we'll catch you on the next episode.